You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Happy New Year and welcome to 2023. I'm Kathy Fetke and welcome to The Real Well Show. Today, I'm going to do my best to forecast what we can expect in real estate this year in 2023. So I thought I would invite somebody who knows a lot about the topic, Rick Sharga, VP of Atom Data Solutions. If you don't know Rick, you should. He's one of the country's most frequently quoted sources on real estate, mortgage, and foreclosure trends. He's appeared on CNBC, CBS News, NBC, CNN, ABC, Fox, Bloomberg, and of course today on The Real Wealth Show again. So Rick, thank you so much for being here and welcome back. Thank you for having me again. I hope you're armed and and uh, ready with lots of great data. We'll we'll give it our best shot. <laughs> okay, so uh, so many questions. Happy New Year! Welcome to 2023. What's your outlook for 2023? Are you positive? Are you nervous? What are your thoughts? I'm positive it's not going to be a banner year for real estate. How's that? Uh, oh, that is that is exactly the answer I expected. <laughs> No, it's, I, I don't think it's going to be a disaster, but I do think there's going to be some lingering weakness in the residential real estate market, uh, although there are parts of the country that will actually do really well. Uh, and I do think we're starting to see a downturn in, in various segments in the commercial market as well. Uh, sort of the, I guess, the, the long COVID uh, impact on, on some of the commercial markets. Uh, but, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a challenging year, but, but not a disaster. Long, long haul COVID on, on commercial real estate. Yeah. Well, let's, gosh, so many things that you just said there, I'm going to just dive into the first one that I, I know that our listeners are wondering what your answer is. You said some areas will do very well, which areas. So I'm looking at the Southeastern part of the country, uh, states like the Carolinas, uh, Tennessee, Florida, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, states like Alabama, um, parts of Texas. So this, the South and Southeast, I, I believe, will continue to, to see growth. And that's due largely to two things, uh, population growth. We're still seeing a lot of people moving into those states uh, and uh, job growth. So th- those two indicators tend to be pretty good predictors of, of home sales as well. So you know, at, at Adam, we're looking at, at home prices probably going down about 5% this year nationally. But that means some markets like coastal California, you could see 10, 15% declines in prices. Some of these other markets, you're actually going to see prices go up. So it's going to be a very localized sort of correction in the residential market this year. Uh, and again, I think states in the South and Southeast are probably poised to do the best. Well, you're speaking my language. I mean, these are the areas that we've been focused on for a decade. Uh, so they're just, they seem to be very resilient. And here we are again, you know, in a yep. questionable time. Would you say that people are still mi- migrating to these areas and that there is still job growth in those areas? Yeah, by and large. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, there was a, a recent report out from U-Haul, uh, their annual one-way truck rental um, conversation. And states like Texas, states like the Carolinas, uh, all had, you know, net increases in people renting U-Hauls and moving in, whereas states like California, New York, Illinois, uh, Michigan, Massachusetts uh, had more people leaving with U-Hauls than coming into the state. So I, I do think we're continuing to see that that kind of migration. 
that tends to come along with job growth. Um, and and I, I think the the wave that we had uh, after the pandemic was declared, where we saw large numbers of people uh, moving out of high price, high cost, high tax states uh, into to markets where they could afford to buy a house or a bigger house. I think those large numbers have probably settled down, uh, but I think you'll still see a trickle effect from from even the, the the work from home aspect of the pandemic. Well, and the millennials have been getting so much attention for being able to work remotely and um, you know having pretty good salaries. Not all of them, but enough that have been buying real estate. Yeah. Uh, but there's also the baby boomers, a, a forgotten generation that's also very big. And whatever the baby boomers have done in the past, it usually affected housing or the economy or the stock market. And many baby boomers are retiring. Do you think that has anything to do with this migration pattern of people moving to more affordable places with better climates? Absolutely. Um, or, or even just more affordable places, even with questionable climates. Um, the boomers had been largely responsible for uh, the average tenure of, of home ownership going up pretty significantly. So that that generation has opted to age in place at much higher numbers than prior generations did. Uh, so they've, they've they're living longer, they're staying healthier, they're they're staying in their homes. So a decade ago, the average time somebody spent in a house after they bought it was five to seven years. Uh, and about a year ago, that number was up to 12 years. And that was largely because boomers had, had stayed put. Um, and that, by the way, was one of the reasons why we saw less inventory than we expected, <clears throat> excuse me, in the existing home market. Now we're starting to see boomers move out. And, and I will guarantee you, if you parse the data of people moving from California and New York, you're going to see a lot of boomers moving out simply because they're not sure they can afford to stay in those states uh, based on what they have available in, in retirement income, um, and and we we know for you know for decades Florida has been a, a haven for New York retirees uh, because of lower costs and better weather, uh, and I, I suspect we're seeing that more broadly across the country right now. Well, and it seems like as people age, they maybe become more conservative as well. They might be liking the conservative policies of of those states. I mean. I don't know if, if if you if you have any data on that, but you're going to actually ask me to talk red state versus blue state. Yeah, maybe. Uh, <laughs> no, that that's that's I, I don't have any data on that, but but surveys show that that is one of the reasons people are moving. Uh, and, and by the way, that works both ways. There there are also people leaving red states because they're looking to to be somewhere a little bit more progressive. That certainly. We saw a, a little bit of a blip in that activity after the Supreme Court uh, reversed Roe versus Wade, uh, people moving from red states to blue states. But I, I do suspect, to your point, as people get older, they, they do tend to get more conservative and, and might be looking for a, a more conservative environment to, to retire into. And with that said, I'm going to throw that all out the window because, you know, you just look at Miami, where so many New York businesses, especially in the financial industry, are moving to Miami. And I wouldn't imagine they're all conservative, <laughs> but maybe no, they but like if, if you were if you're going to look at New York City businesses, the financial businesses are going to tend to be the most conservative ones there. So but my, Miami is a great case in point because Miami is probably as close to an international city as we have in the United States. Uh, you have a lot of immigrants coming in from from uh, uh, South America, from Central America. 
uh, from other parts of the world. Uh, and it is a very, very eclectic city in terms of, of culture and, and, and environment. So, um, so Florida tends to look more and more these days as a somewhat conservative state, but I'm not sure you can really say that about Miami. Miami would be purple then. It would just yes. be a big blend. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that was the positive. I, I, I just, of course, that popped out when you, on your opening statement, that there were some areas that were going to do better. On the flip side, what areas would you be more cautious of in 2023? Yeah, we, we already mentioned a few of them. So I think coastal California is probably going to see some weakness in terms of both uh, volume of sales and prices. Uh, Pacific Northwest uh, probably is going to take a little bit of a hit. We're already seeing that, you know, Portland, Seattle markets uh, relatively weak from a pricing perspective. Um, Illinois, New York, uh, probably not going to have banner years for residential home sales. Uh, and then there, there's some just kind of individual markets. Uh, Austin comes to mind as a market that may have uh, got out beyond rational pricing over the last couple of years, may, may have some clawback. Uh, Phoenix, um, Las Vegas are, are markets where we've seen 50% price gains over the last couple of years. Uh, might be some pullback in, in some of those markets. And then I, I'd also, we were talking about this earlier, I would take a look at some of the so-called Zoom towns. So the, the markets which <laughs> came out of nowhere, so, you know, St. George, Utah, uh, Boise, Idaho, uh, where you saw, you know, annual price increases of 47%, which is just crazy. Uh, as people moved out of higher cost states for a, a, a better standard of living. So I, I think there, there might be a little bit of pullback in some of those markets as, as prices kind of rationalize. But, you know, this is my opinion on it. Those are pretty attractive areas. That's why, that's why they boomed. And so if you were thinking of retiring one of those places, this could be the time because there's a lot more inventory. It's probably shifting to a buyer's market in those markets. It's probably probably a little premature to go to buyer's market, <laughs> uh, but it's it's definitely a more balanced market. So you're you're not going to see thirty people bidding on on a property, um, and, and so that that would tend to make it a little bit more favorable to buyers. I, I still think there's not enough inventory, even in markets like those uh, that are attractive markets for for out of state people to move to uh, to to swing the market from seller to buyer. Uh, but but it's more balanced for sure. And I think that's probably something safe to say for most of the country in 2023 is it'll be a much more balanced market uh, than, it, than it has been for the last couple of years when it was clearly one of the strongest sellers markets probably in history. Yeah. So I guess I'm just saying for those who are afraid of dipping their toes into the water, but, you know, wanted to be in those those popular markets, this could really be the time because there well, is. Look, Kathy, the, the, I, I have two adult kids we've, and we've talked about this before. And, and the median sale price of a property in California is still around $800,000. And there's no way um, somebody just coming out of college is going to be able to, to buy a house there. So even if you are looking at property values that dramatically inflated in some of these um, mid-tier markets, um, they're still going to be wildly more affordable <clears throat> excuse me, than in some markets like California and New York. So uh, even at higher prices, um, even with the threat of those prices, maybe 
coming back a little bit after you've purchased a property, uh, still much more affordable, still much better value represented in buying homes in some of those markets than in some of the, the more established markets. Yeah. So bottom line, don't be afraid. This could be the buying opportunity of a lifetime, not of a lifetime, but a a good buying opportunity if you want to be in those markets. Those aren't markets that we invest in because of the volatility where we like the good old South, Southeast, like you mentioned, and some of the Midwest markets that just kind of stay stable through, you know, through these recessions and these highs and these lows. Although, Cleveland and Cincinnati have been some cash flow markets for us that never really have gone up in value. And boy, those those areas went up in value quite a bit as well. I think Cincinnati was seeing 25% price gains, at, yep. price gains at one point, which is really unusual for them. Well, Columbus, Ohio has probably been one of the most uh, under the radar hot markets uh, it, really for the last number of years. Uh, and it's it has a lot of things going for it in terms of, uh, uh, you know, strong uh, medical industry presence, um, university town, uh, you know, and and reasonable cost of living. Uh, so it, there there are markets like that. And to your point, if you're looking at properties as an investor as opposed to a homeowner, uh, there's nothing wrong with with midwestern cities. Indianapolis, uh, I know investors who you know were traditionally getting 18% cash on cash returns every year. Now, home price appreciation was negligible, almost almost no appreciation for a long time. But if you're looking at a, a buy and hold strategy and making your money on cash flow, a lot of those Midwestern cities represent really good deals. Absolutely. Yep. They, they always have. And especially if those areas are reinventing themselves and yep. attracting businesses to them, which Indianapolis, like you said, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Birmingham, they've been doing that slow and steady uh, for the past decade. And Kansas oh, City has great barbecue, by the way. So oh, I know there was one real estate trip I took where I was in Dallas one day, Kansas City, and what was it? Oh, in Memphis. And I decided so I was going to be in each of those cities. I was going to test their best barbecue and Kansas City won <laughs> for me. So Kansas City, that's they, they won the Kathy Fetke barbecue award. Yeah, it was it was amazing. And, you know, I'd have to go back and test it again because it probably changes every every year. <laughs> Let me know. That'd be a fun trip. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, kind of like your dinosaur hunting trips, which yes. I did see on Facebook. <laughs> That's my that, son. And, and, you know, shout out to shout out to my son, worked for a paleontologist in South Dakota. And right before he, he came back home, uh, uncovered what they believe is the, the third or fourth largest T-Rex femur ever discovered. It was wow. about a four and a half foot long thigh bone. So that's that's something that most people can't put on their resume. So curious, and this is very off topic, but did you read him a lot of dinosaur books? Like, how do you become... <laughs> Yes, the answer is yes. Yeah, we were, we're other people were reading the three bears. I was I was actually reading him excerpts from a dinosaur encyclopedia. He, he's just always been fixated or fascinated with that with that stuff. And uh, we would you know we would play play with dinosaurs you know hours on end when he was when he was a little boy. So for his high school graduation trip, I, I was I was kind of coerced into fulfilling a promise I made when he was a little boy. And we we went out and actually worked for this paleontologist for for about a week. Uh, went on a wow. legitimate dinosaur dig, and then uh, uh, last year the, the the paleontologist was looking for some temporary full time help. My son raised his hand and went out and and had that uh, five month experience of a lifetime. So I'm I'm really happy he's had a chance to do that. 
Well, that is my parental tip for the day. Just let your kids follow their dreams and it will usually end up somewhere good. Hopefully, if they're good dreams. I mean, for my, I have two daughters, so they just wanted to see castles in Europe because they want to be princesses. But, you know, I don't know if they'll make a career out of that. <laughs> I, I, I doubt my son's going to be a full-time paleontologist. So it, <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a fun trip while, while, while it was going on. Oh, that's great. Okay, back to real estate. Back to real estate. <laughs> um, commercial real estate. So let, let me start with, I feel pretty confident, not pretty confident. I feel very confident being a buy and hold rental prop. Um, excuse me. I feel very confident being a buy and hold rental property investor. Uh, I just, with interest rates so high, there's so much demand for rentals. And a lot of people still do prefer single family rentals over living in a, in an apartment. Um, but commercial, let's talk about that. Apartments, commercial, there seems to be some trouble of brewing there. What, what are your thoughts on commercial property in 2023? Yeah, I, I don't know that we're seeing a big storm on the horizon, but it's definitely getting a little cloudy. Um, we've seen sales of multifamily units drop pretty significantly. Um, here in Southern California, where uh, I am today, uh, sales are down about 50% year over year. And it has a lot to do with cap rates. You're looking because because the cost of capital has gone up uh, so significantly in the last year, you're looking at cap rates of, you know, three, three and a half percent, where your financing cost is, you know, somewhere in the six to nine percent range. So it's it's hard to justify that kind of investment, at least in the short term. There's also I, I'm I am led to believe a record amount of multifamily inventory coming to market in the next twelve to eighteen months, based on what's currently a, under construction. We've seen. Housing start numbers go down by double digits, uh, but we've also seen multifamily starts go up by double digits year over year. So, you know, th that's that's a troubling combination if you're a, an investor in the multifamily market. I haven't seen similar issues uh, rear their head yet in the single family rental space, uh, but, you know, the, the, there's a little bit less demand than you might expect for multifamily right now. Uh, given that some people have decided not to, to not to buy but to rent, um, and depending on where this new inventory comes to market, you could wind up with vacancy rates ticking up a bit, which then tends to lead to, to rental rates coming down. So, uh, it's definitely a, a segment to watch. It's been probably the second hottest um, sector of the, the commercial market for the last few years, uh, but but definitely uh, definitely flattening out a little bit right now. Yeah, you know, I I think there's going to be a huge opportunity in multifamily, but for us, we're going to wait about a year to see where things sort of yep. uh, settle. And in the meantime, the opportunity, in my opinion, is in single family. With that said, a, a lot of the people, survey data I've seen shows anywhere from 10 to 20% of people who had planned to buy a house uh, have now opted to wait for a while, uh, just either until they can save more money for a down payment or until interest rates settle. So at least in the short term, that could be a boon for single family rental owners uh, because it stands to reason if somebody was looking to buy a house, they might be more inclined to rent one than to rent an apartment. Um, and, and so that that could provide a, a little bit of a tailwind for the, the single family rental market as well. Yeah. And so back to multifamily, uh, you mentioned overbuilding or I don't know, overbuilding, but lots of building. Are there areas where there may be concern of overbuilding? I, I would be I, I'd be making stuff up right now, Kathy. If I told you I'd done that kind of detailed research, mm -hmm. um, 
I, I just really now started to kind of take a look at multifamily building in general. Uh, and and it, as it's become apparent that there's an awful lot of inventory getting ready to come to market, we'll probably do a little bit more research into where those 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 properties are coming online. But but I I'd be making stuff up if I told you I knew which markets were in danger of seeing an oversupply. Well, I'll tell you what my dream is then. <laughs> my dream is that we're able to acquire an A-class brand new apartment for less. And and you probably you probably will in the next 12 to 18 months. I there there are owners looking to, to exit. Um and and there are loans getting ready to reset that the current owners aren't going to be able to handle. So I think there are going to be buying opportunities out there for people who either have cash or have financing ready to go. Um, and, and you know, it, it, where we've seen, interestingly, where we've seen a little bit of pullback on rental rates has tended to be A-class properties, particularly at the higher end. And I, I do think that probably comes down to some something of a supply and demand uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. There's a lot of talk about office. Again, I don't know how much data you have on that, but I just know from people I know that they're just getting hammered. Uh, office is a tough place to be right now. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, you're in ground, you're at ground zero for the office market, not recovering. Uh, the San mm-hmm. Francisco market uh, is, is clearly an outlier in terms of recovering from the pandemic. I've heard stories of occupants of vacancy rates being in the high 40% range wow. in the city, uh, in the downtown area, uh, and and no indication that it's getting better. And that throws a shadow over other businesses, whether it's smaller offices with companies that you know typically are around to support the, the workers in those those high rises, um, you know, restaurants, other service providers. So it, it really has a kind of ripple effect across the entire economy of, of a city like San Francisco. New York, uh, we're seeing a, an extraordinary amount of subleasing going on as people are not coming back to office. Uh, so there are some people getting uh, getting deals on on sublease contracts. But uh, the for, for a while after COVID struck, we had kind of a tale of, of two cities going on. We had suburban office uh, centers uh, growing and and seeing prices increase, where we saw central business district vacancy rates uh, going up pretty significantly and prices coming down in terms of sales. Um, now the whole office market seems to be kind of hung over a little bit, and and I believe this. You know, when COVID first struck, one of the things I cautioned people about was not to read too much into current office numbers at the time because a lot of these building owners were protected by having long-term leases with their tenants. A lot of these leases are coming due now. And in many cases, the tenants are opting not to re-enter into a new lease. Uh, they, they're downsizing, they're work, they're, their whole company is working from home, things along those lines. So I, I, I don't think we've bottomed out yet in the office market uh, nationally. Um, and, and I think there's probably another year or two where we're, we're going to continue to see kind of the vestiges of of the impacts of COVID. Well, and oftentimes that comes with opportunity. Are you seeing any alternative use for that, all that office space? I, I was uh, on social media uh, talking to somebody about this last night. Um, they were talking about, um, you know, adaptive reuse, turning office buildings into 
uh, residential units and how people had said that was impossible before, but now suddenly it seems possible. And I, I reminded him that, you know, about 250 years ago, Ben, ben Franklin was quoted as saying necessity is often the mother of invention. Uh, and I think adaptive reuse is, is a necessity right now. So, yeah, there, there's I, I think we're seeing that kind of um, reuse in the office space and in the retail space. Uh, where you don't need quite as much brick and mortar uh, availability as you, you used to. So we're seeing a lot of these buildings repurposed into multi-use facilities where there's some combination of retail, uh, restaurants, uh, residential units, and office space. Uh, and, and you're seeing the same thing in, in, the, in the office uh, market as well, particularly in, in areas where the buildings lend themselves to to being converted to residential, it's tough to do very often in a downtown building, just because there are zoning requirements that are very often difficult to get around, and sometimes just the way the buildings are constructed, it, it would make for really oddly shaped living quarters. <laughs> um, but there there was just a story about um, a building I, I believe was in Hudson Yards in New York that's being completely re, redone as a, a residential building. So yeah, we're we're I think we're going to see more of that in the, in the years to come. Yeah, I would think so. If it's mixed use, you know, you got to be careful. I, when I lived in San Francisco, when I went to San Francisco State, we lived above a pizza place, which was great at two a.m. You know, when we would come home from the party scene, but it was really awful at like six a.m. to be smelling pizza. <laughs> I, I actually, you and I have that in common. Actually, when I was in college, I lived in an apartment over a pizza pizza shop as well. Uh, and for some reason, I always woke up hungry. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I ate a lot of pizza, but I was in my 20s, so I, I could. All right. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, the debt crisis in commercial. I know on on my other podcast with Bigger Pockets on the market, we interviewed um, – you know, and someone from Fundrise on the topic, and he was really concerned that there's just not the liquidity. Do you do you have any thoughts on the liquidity in the commercial market? Like, are people going to be able to refi their commercial property? I think we're going to see a lot of owners need to get out from under their financing as as these loans come due. Um, I, I I remember back during the Great Recession, there was there was this long rumored uh, wall of liquidity that was going to crumble uh, in the MBS market, uh, in the, the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. And it never really came to pass. So what, what I've seen historically in commercial markets is an extraordinary amount of creativity about loan workouts. Um, and and we, we all know that there's a lot of capital on the sidelines right now. Uh, waiting to kind of swoop in and, and 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 take advantage of whatever distress there is in the market. So I, I don't know if there's going to be a debt crisis in terms of enormous fallout, but I, I do think we're definitely going to have some winners and losers uh, as as a lot of these loans come due, uh, and and there will be you know a, a, a probably a fairly large number of, of owners who simply are going to have to exit the business one way or the other when when the time comes. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. There's so many uh, huge firms uh, starting new funds ready to pick up that, yeah, all, all that commercial real estate. So hopefully they'll leave some of it for the little guys. <laughs> I, you know, I think especially if you're looking at low dollar uh, commercial properties, mm -hmm. there are going to be a lot of buying opportunities. I, I expected the hotel segment to crater. I mean, just crater after COVID. 
Um, and we're still seeing occupancy rates at hotels below where they were in 2019, you know, almost four years later. Um, but what instead we saw was a lot of sales activity. Sales activity spiked in the hotel sector. And I'm led, I'm led to believe that's because we saw a lot of limited service hotels change hands. Those hotels think, you know, Hilton Garden Inn and Marriott Fairfield Inn, those kind of hotels uh, are very often owned by small investors. And in a lot of cases, they simply didn't have the financial wherewithal to get through two, three years of below normal levels of occupancy. Uh, but rather than lose these properties to foreclosure, they they sold them. So we saw a spike in hotel sales over the last couple of years. And I think that's been uh, other small to mid-sized investors swooping in and, and taking these properties off the previous owner's hands. So I think there'll be a lot of that at the in the low dollar figures. Those big institutional investment funds that we see tend not to be interested in the sub million dollar or sub two million dollar assets. So I think for small investors, for individual investors, there's going to be a lot of those assets available uh, and, and ready for the taking. Okay, and final question. You got to pull out your crystal ball on this one and tell me exactly what the Fed is going to do in 2023. <laughs> God, if I'd, known that, if I'd known that last year, I'd be on my book tour right now and, and I, we'd, we'd do that barbecue swing through the, the Midwest. <laughs> um, I am probably in the minority here, uh, hopeful that if we get one or two good report, one or two more good reports on inflation, uh, the Fed will will scale back significantly on the the aggressive tack it's taken in raising rates for the last six or seven months. Um, on the residential side, there's already room for rates to come down. If we just got back to a normal spread between the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury and the interest rates on 30-year fixed-rate loans, there's about 100 extra basis points, a full percentage point difference between normal spreads and where we are today. So if the Fed just announced it was going to scale back or or you know not not be terribly aggressive and the markets could settle down a little bit, we could see rates come down. Um, I, I think the Fed acknowledges at this point that if they continue to be aggressive, they are going to steer us into a recession. I know they'd prefer not to do that if they can avoid it. Um, but you know, it, I, where do I think Fed funds rates will cap cap out? I don't really know. I'm I'm hoping they don't cap out much higher than five, uh, maybe even a little bit less than that. But but it it it's it really is a coin toss right now. They're they're hard to predict, um, and and they've they've warned us that they're aware that that what they're doing could lead to a recession. I guess the only good news is if they do steer us into a recession. Uh, odds are that rates will come down. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we, we at least have that to look forward to. But um, it was a long-winded answer to tell you I have no idea what the Fed's going to do. <laughs> I figured that. But they're they're warning us still that they're going to get to the fives, right? Is that what they're still saying? No, they, they haven't said that. Um, okay. People that analyze what they say <laughs> um, are now predicting we'll be in the five, five and a quarter range as opposed to four and a half or four and three quarters, which was the last speculation. Uh, what the Fed has said is they expect um, unemployment to be up in the four and a half-ish range by the end of this year, which is a little higher than what they'd expected before. But by the way, still lower than what some of the economists I follow are projecting, which is 
unemployment rates in the in the fives. What what I will tell you is my personal research historically has shown that the inflection point for home sales tends to be around 6% unemployment. So if if unemployment does peak in the fives and doesn't cross that six barrier, at least we'll have that going for us from a, a home sales perspective. Okay. So it's kind of a wait and see and just know that we don't know where we're going to land. Um, but right now it sounds like you're not really expecting a, a, a deep recession or even a recession in 2023 or, or did I get I, I'm inclined to believe we will have a recession. Um, we've had a huge yield curve inversion. that has been going on for quite a while right now. The last seven times that's happened, we've had a recession. Uh, and every time the fed has raised the fed funds rate, um, in order to combat inflation going back as far as World War II. Um, about 80% of the time, that's led to a recession as well. What I'm hopeful about and what a lot of the economists whose work I follow are, are saying is that because all the other aspects of the economy are actually pretty strong right now, if we do enter a recession, it'll be strictly because of Fed policy. Uh, and, and because of that, hopefully the recession would be relatively mild and relatively short. Uh, so that's that's kind of my outlook for for 2023 as well. Oh, very good. All right, I'll take that as a positive. <laughs> I, I, I do as well, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful, Rick Charga. It's always such a pleasure to have you here, and I always learn so much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much, Kathy. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can go to realwealthshow.com to get more information on best markets and market data and referrals to teams in those markets who can help you with property management or acquiring rental property in the strongest rental and growth markets in the U.S. Again, that's realwealthshow.com. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.